So when John Malloy wrote his book, Dress for Success, in 1975, I'm sure he had me in mind. How so? I have never been able to dress for success. I was not raised in a family that was not wealthy. Both of my parents grew up during the Great Depression caused by the economic policies of early 20th century progressives, deja vu. Um, since we were poor, um, I wore my clothes either till they wore out or I outgrew them. Even in the seminary, my professors would tell me that I needed to dress better. At age 13, I began working on a rice and soybean farm in eastern Arkansas. And so, to this day, I prefer denim and tees to suits and ties. If it were me, I'd still be wearing the suit my mom bought me in 1979, a corduroy western suit. And yes, I could still fit in it, although the pants would be super short on me. If it were me, I would be still wearing the leisure suit that Diane bought me in 1986, except that would be super baggy on me, um, because I'm only about two-thirds of the person that Diane married 40 years ago today. Happy anniversary, dear. <laughs> so... Needless to say, dressing for success is not my spiritual gift, which is why I like Jeremiah. This summer, we've been going through the book of Jeremiah under the title, Fearless Faith in Tough Times. Today's topic, as you saw, dirty underwear. Yes, that's right. Dirty underwear. Jeremiah definitely did not know how to dress for success. And I want to unpack chapter 13, verses 1 to 11, using four words that begin with the letter L. The first word is loincloth. Thus says the Lord to me, go and buy an eightsore. An eightsore is translated as waistband, girdle, loincloth, or undergarment. But for my Hebrew money, I think a dynamic equivalent would be Fruit of the Loom, or Hanes, or Tommy John. An eightsore was an undergarment here. And, um, and so Jeremiah was commanded to go and buy an eightsore. Now, most of the time, the people of the Old Testament wore a leather eightsore, undergarment, which might explain why they always seem to be chapped all the time. But in this particular case, Jeremiah was commanded to buy an Etzor Pishtim, a linen underwear. Now, according to Leviticus 16.4, linen underwear was to be worn by the priests, which makes sense since Jeremiah was from the priestly clan of Anathoth, Jeremiah 1.1, if you want to check that out. But this also suggests that the whole nation of Israel was to be a kingdom of priests. They were holy. They were sacred. They were consecrated to the Lord. Further, an eightsore was an undergarment. That means it was a personal piece of clothing. You and only you wore that piece of clothing. You don't share underwear. 
God, in a similar way, says, I will not share my people. Yahweh is a jealous God. He will not share his people with any other gods. That's why God says in Jeremiah 2.2, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Now the word that Jeremiah uses in chapter 13, verse 11, to describe this close and intimate relationship is the Hebrew word davak, which means to cling, to cleave, to bind, to be close together. This word first appears in Genesis 2.24, when God says, Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and cling, cleave, be bound to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's also used in Ruth 1.14 to describe Ruth's relentless and tenacious commitment to Naomi. I will go where you go. Where I will follow where you follow. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Remember that word, devak, to cling and to bind, because we're going to come back to it later, and it doesn't have anything to do with underwear. The second L, listen. Because of the patriarchal promises, because of the exodus from Egypt, because of the conquest of the land, God and Israel became one. His mission was their mission. His salvation was their salvation. Where God went, Israel went. Where God stayed, Israel stayed. He was their God and they were his people to be for him a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. I was looking through a anniversary card section, and I found this card that had showed the, uh, a couple in their golden years sitting on a park bench, and the wife is snuggled up to the husband and says, it's so nice to be near, to which the husband said, why, yes, I'd like another beer. Judah had grown deaf. They were to be a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God had given them the title of Segalah, which means a prized, treasured possession. They were precious and honored. God loved them, but Israel would have none of it. They would not listen. Which leads then to the lesson. Jeremiah was called, told to buy a loincloth, an eight-sore. Now, this verses here, the section of chapter 13, is what's called a sign act in Jeremiah. A sign act is where Jeremiah would act out something, and the meaning is derived from his actions. Like, later on we'll get to where he shatters a pot, a clay pot in front of the people, or he wears an oxen yoke, or he buys a piece of property. In this particular case, obviously, God tells 
um, Jeremiah to buy an Eitzor Pishtim, a linen loincloth. But, says God, do not dip it in water. You know what that means? He was not to wash his underwear. Now, Israelis in that time would wear their eight sores by day, wash them by night so they could wear them again the next day. But Jeremiah did not wash his underwear for several days. Or was it several weeks? Or dare I say, did he not wash his underwear for several months? The text doesn't stay. But my exegetical analysis is that Jeremiah's underwear smelled to high, holy heaven. And I'm sure he took a lot of kidding from that too. Hey, Jeremiah, did your mom not teach you how to wash your clothes? Woo, Jeremiah, have you ever heard of personal hygiene? Have you ever heard of pastoral etiquette? And of course, then there was that small group of rowdy boys in uh, Jerusalem who played instruments who used to taunt Jeremiah by singing, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Eventually, as our text says, God tells Jeremiah to go and bury that loincloth in Parah, which is a town about five miles north of Jerusalem. And you can imagine Jeremiah goes, oh, Good riddance. See you later, dirty underwear. But a couple months later, God says, I want you to go and dig up that piece of underwear. And Jeremiah must have gone, really? Now that underwear is good for nothing. But there goes Jeremiah again, parading through Jerusalem again, with his dirty underwear again. But this time, God commands Jeremiah to say, this evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. And there you have the message of this sign act. This prophecy came true in 587 BC when Judah found itself buried in Babylon because they had closed their ears to the word of God. The word of God became offensive to them. Know anybody today to whom the word of God is offensive? They said to Jeremiah, we will not listen to the message you bring us from Yahweh. Pride says, I don't have to listen to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Pride says, I can do my own thing. Pride says, people ought to like what I like and want what I like. Pride says, Michael, you're a good guy. You're your own moral compass. You can do what you want. You can chart your own course. You are the man. Addicted. Fixated. Locked onto that inner voice of ours. We will not listen. Even if the evidence is clear. 
We refuse to hear the voice of the Lord. We refuse to believe Jeremiah 17, which says, the human heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And before you know it, our slander, our lust, our apathy, our greed, our cynicism drags us through the mud and the muck and the mire. Refusing to listen to God's Word, we, like Jeremiah's underwear or the people of Judah, become buried in Babylon, buried in our sin. We are good for nothing because our ego has locked us into our pride. Which leads us to the fourth L, love. Remember the word I told you about at the beginning, davak. It means to cling, to cleave, to be bound. You see, in spite of it all, in spite of us turning our backs on God, in spite of us listening to our own voice rather than God, God still clings to us. God still cleaves us. God is bound to us. God married us in holy baptism. And God says, from the bottom of his heart, I am your God and you are my people. How can this be? Because there was another prophet like Jeremiah who refused to dress for success. In fact, in one instance, you could find this prophet dressed in menial slaves' clothing, washing feet. In another instance, this prophet was stripped naked and beaten to a bloody pulp. And later that day, another outlandish event took place. Jesus and sin became one in the flesh. St. Paul put it this way, He who knew no sin became sin for us. St. Peter says, Jesus himself took our sin in his flesh on the tree. Cain was a murderer, but Jesus became the greatest murderer, taking on himself all words of hate, all abortions, all horrific cheapening of life. Achan was a thief. But Jesus became the greatest thief, taking on himself every dishonest act, every white-collar crime. David was an adulterer, but Jesus became the greatest adulterer, taking on himself every lustful look, every piece of pornography. Those who orchestrated and watched this bloody mess concluded that Jesus was useless. And what do you do with something that is good for nothing? Jeremiah knows. You dig a hole and bury it. 
But just as God could not let his people be buried in Babylon forever, so God could not allow his son to be buried in the tomb. After three days, Jesus was raised from the dead. Glorious, victorious, meritorious. God will not let you stay buried or burdened by your dirt. He will not let you stay buried in your death. God has clothed you with the righteousness of Christ. It says so in Revelation 7.14. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. But wait, there's more. There's infinitely more with the gospel. Those who have been buried, who have been baptized into Christ, says St. Paul, have clothed themselves with Christ. And there you have it. Clean. Cleave. Bound. Close by. It's God's commitment to us. This is God's relentless and tenacious commitment to us. Clinging to us with His love and His grace and His mercy forever. So that He can make of you a name, a praise, and a glory. And we will listen. Oh, we will listen. What does that listening look like? Where He leads me, I will follow. That's it. That's what listening is, right? Obedience. Just ask any parent. Just ask any teacher. Listening equals obedience. Where he leads me, I will follow. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We stand and make confession of the faith that we share with one another by speaking together the words of the Nicene Creed. Together we confess, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, 